Hello, and welcome to From Russia with News, a weekly news podcast brought to you by the Moscow Times. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Millions of citizens of Russia are united by the Olympic dream. I view the Russians as a far greater challenge that we have. President Putin, uh, he just said it's not Russia. A unique country, not bad, not bad at all. My name is Jonathan Brown, and I'm an editor in our newsroom here in Moscow. This week on the program, after a drawn-out court case, two Russian cybersecurity officials this week were sentenced to decades behind bars for treason. But with the trial unfolding behind closed doors, key questions remain unanswered, like their role in Russian election meddling. The initial idea that um, they had been uh, human sources for uh, the FBI investigating the electoral meddling may may never be known. Um, We'll speak with New York Times correspondent Andrew Kramer, who's been covering the case. And later, the renowned Russian media executive and political consultant Igor Maloshenko died in Spain on Monday. He was 64 years old. Igor Maloshenko was the king of Russian media managers in the 90s. He was uh, the founder of NTV, which was uh, the first ever privately owned quality TV station. Artyomi Troitsky, a journalist who knew Maloshenko, will tell us about his impact on Russia's political landscape and the legacy he leaves behind. First up, Sergei Mikhailov, a former FSB cybersecurity expert, was sentenced to 22 years behind bars for treason this week. He was sentenced alongside Ruslan Stayanov, a senior researcher at the cybersecurity firm Kaspersky Lab, who was handed 14 years for treason. The fact that the two men had worked alongside U.S. officials and that they were arrested by Russia immediately after the 2016 elections in the U.S. raised eyebrows. Did this mean that they had passed information on Russian election meddling to U.S. officials? Joining us on the line is New York Times correspondent Andrew Kramer, who covered the sentencing this week. Andrew, first of all, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you for having me on. First of all, can you tell us what was the atmosphere in the courtroom on Tuesday? We were allowed in the courtroom for about 10 minutes, um, and uh, they had uh, men with masks, ski masks on. Judge stood up and sentenced uh, uh, this this former officer uh, to 22 years in the gulag for treason and didn't explain why. So it was very old school um, in in that sense. It was very kind of um, very very mysterious. And that's all we know in terms of official commentary. Um, Everything else has been leaks and and, uh, indirect information. So how did we get to where we are today? What's the backstory here? What led up to this week's sentencing? It's a complicated uh, story. It's uh, it's an intriguing subplot of the electoral hacking uh, scandal in the United States. If we go back to late um, 2016, when uh, news about the Russian hack uh, started to explode uh, in in America, when President Trump was still president-elect and and President Obama was president, the uh, United States uh, accused, first accused Russia of of the hacking shortly before the election and then sanctioned Russia uh, for meddling um, at the end of December. Um, by early January, the United States had released a report on, on Russian computer intrusions into the Democratic uh, National Committee servers. Uh, this was called the Grizzly Step Report, which had a, a good deal of detail about uh, what had happened. Around this time, uh, secretly, counterintelligence agents in Russia arrested some of this country's uh, highest-ranking um, cybersecurity officials. Uh, this was on uh, December 5th or December 6th by, by different reports. Um, supposedly, um, according to both the liberal newspaper Novaya Gazeta and uh, the uh, more nationalist Sargrad, 
um, there was a theatrical detail uh, to the arrest where uh, Mikhailov, uh, uh, the deputy director of the FSB's Center for Information Security, was pulled from an FSB meeting with a bag over his head. Hmm. Um, in a clear symbol uh, and message to the other uh, security officers uh, about cooperation with the United States or about uh, possible treason, which is what he was accused of. So it looked it looked related to electoral hacking in the timing uh, and in this uh, and in the drama of this arrest, uh, and that really set the stage for uh, for this whole story. Now it wasn't announced publicly until late January. So the fact that these men were convicted of treason this week and the fact that they were arrested immediately after the U.S. elections seems to suggest that, well, they might have been punished for handing over information about Russian election meddling to the U.S. Has that, has that theory been thoroughly debunked or, or is it still circulating? Well, like so much else in Russia, there's not a, a clear answer and so much else about the electoral meddling case in the United States. Um, the initial idea that um, they had been uh, human sources for uh, the FBI investigating the electoral meddling may, may never be known. Um, I doubt either side would ever announce that because the Russians have denied uh, hacking and, and the United States would be unlikely to reveal the source of, a, uh, of, a, of an informant still inside Russia, even if in, in a Russian jail. However, there's, there's been a lot of information that came out uh, about uh, the role of uh, several of these uh, suspects, now convicts. Um, uh, Mikhailov Stoyanov, who was the senior antivirus researcher at uh, Kaspersky, uh, Dakuchayev, who was the deputy of Mikhailov at the uh, Center for Information Security, and uh, a businessman, Fomchenkov, whose role is a little bit more obscure. They had been liaisons with uh, the FBI on bread and butter cybercrime issues um, going back for years, long before uh, electoral hacking, long before President uh, Trump ever uh, was running for office. So it, these contacts provided a window uh, into Russian cybercrime for the FBI on, on issues like bank fraud and um, spam um, that could have uh, been useful while investigating the electoral hacking. So there's no direct evidence of uh, <clears throat> uh, of these men providing information about electoral hacking. Uh, the, Russia, in any case, denies electoral hacking. But they were useful in investigating cybercrime um, and providing the background for the investigation uh, of the uh, electoral hack. Now, there's another theory here that this case is being driven by a Russian businessman. Can you explain that lead to us? Um, sure. Um, Mikhailov... Um, and Dakuchayev, um, back in 2010 and 2011, investigated what was then the highest profile uh, cybercrime case in Russia um, of the uh, founder of uh, an online payment system uh, called Chronopay. The founder's name is Pavel Vrublovsky and uh, uh, several of his programmers. And it was uh, an important case um, because uh, nobody had been prosecuted on these specific uh, charges before in Russia. And because Russia was under diplomatic pressure from Canada and the United States at the time to prosecute Vrublovsky for selling counterfeit uh, erectile dysfunction drugs in the United States, principally Viagra, uh, under a scheme that was making uh, millions and millions of dollars. So this, uh, this, this background, um, these, these figures, uh, Vrublovsky and Mikhailov, um, had, uh, had, a, had a background going back into, at least until 2010. Mikhailov had prosecuted uh, Rublowski. The theory is that Rublowski had a grudge and was seeking revenge. Uh, when cooperation with the FBI went out of style, he used this opportunity to initiate a treason case against uh, Mikhailov. That's the theory of, of the revenge. Whatever the motives of the, the prosecution, the verdict here seems to send a message, don't cooperate with 
the states. Does that? Uh, how does that sound to you? Does that does that sound about right? I think so, and I think that uh, some um, experts on the Russian internet have have drawn that conclusion as well. Um, the uh, the issues um, have not changed much for the last uh, decade or so on uh, cyber relations between uh, Russia and the United States. Um, under Obama uh, and Medvedev, there were uh, negotiations were open on a treaty in cyberspace recalling the late Cold War era uh, nuclear treaties that never came about. And one of the issues is that uh, the, the two countries view cybersecurity differently. The United States is focused on cybercrime and, and, and cyber war, um, cyber espionage issues, uh, while Russia um, looks at the uh, Internet more holistically and, and considers uh, the whole issue of what they call information security. They want control over the information coming into the country um, and that's something the United States doesn't want to uh, discuss because this would undermine the, the promise of the Internet as a, a disseminator of free ideas uh, around the world, even in, in, in repressed societies. So there's been a, a stalemate on, on how to regulate the Internet uh, between the two countries, and I think that's, that's going on today. So there won't be cooperation on what the U.S. wants, which is cybercrime. Uh, if there's not quite cooperation on what Russia wants, which is information security. Andrew, thanks very much for taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you very much. Igor Maleshenko was one of the most important figures of Russia's media landscape and political landscape of the last several decades. He died in Spain on Monday. He was 64 years old. Friends have suggested that he was struggling with mental health issues, and initial reports suggested that the cause of death was suicide. Apart from finding several media outlets, he led Boris Yeltsin to his presidential victory in 1996. And most recently in 2018, he headed Ksenia Slabjak's presidential campaign. Joining us on the line is Artyomi Troitsky, a Russian journalist who knew Maleshenka and had a talk show on one of his networks, NTV. Artyomi, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us today. Yes, hi. Can you tell us who Maleshenka was? What was his impact on, on Russian society? Igor Maleshenko was the king of Russian media managers in the 90s. He was uh, the founder of NTV, which was uh, the first ever privately owned quality TV station in in Russia, and he was very effective at, at that. And he's made NTV the most popular TV channel uh, by mid 90s and by the late 90s. And as such, as a very skillful and able media manager, he was also very much in demand in all kinds of political uh, uh, intrigues. Like he was uh, the actual maybe not the formal, but the actual head of President Boris Yeltsin's electoral campaign uh, in 1996. Soon afterwards, by the way, uh, he was suggested to become the prime minister of Russia, and he has refused to take this post. Uh, Sergei Kiryenko became the prime minister then. He was also suggested to become the chief of staff, chef apparata of, of President Yeltsin, but again he refused and Anatoly Chubais became the chief of staff. So he was, uh, he was really addicted uh, to TV and electronic media and he was very, very good at that. Uh, but uh, he, was, uh, he was probably too independent to be a media manager in a country uh, like Russia, be it Yeltsin's or especially Putin's Russia, because in 1999, he again is being suggested or almost forced uh, to support Putin's promotion as 
the prime minister and later the president of Russia. And Igory Milashenko has refused to do that. He said, I don't believe in Putin. I don't like the man. He has this KGB past. And I don't think that he's the one who Russia needs. So he was supporting Evgeny Primakov and Yuri Lushkov at that time. And he refused uh, to back uh, Vladimir Putin, although this was the request of Boris Yeltsin himself and his uh, so-called family, especially Boris Berezovsky. And it is believed uh, that this was his grave mistake, although I personally think that this was uh, his bravest and, uh, uh, and the most heroic deed of his career. And how is Russia reacting to his death? I think, I think the reaction in, in Russia is very muted, simply because uh, Igor Malashenko has uh, literally uh, disappeared from uh, the public view uh, since the beginning of uh, of uh, this century, I mean, uh, NTV has been uh, destroyed and and uh, uh, taken to another owner in the year 2000 or 2001. Can't remember exactly. And then uh, both uh, the owner, the main owner of NTV, Vladimir Gusinsky, and uh, Igor Malashenko, the general manager of NTV, they they both went to live abroad. Uh, Gusinsky in Israel and Malashenko in the United States. And since then, he has uh, he has simply well, he's been vanished uh, without trace. And and uh, his only appearance uh, was last year in in uh, in 2018 when he was sensationally uh, revived, excavated from uh, uh, from the grave and appointed by Xenia Sabchak the uh, head of her electoral campaign. And again, I think that both the campaign and the candidate herself uh, were not very successful. Uh, so Igor has uh, vanished again. So uh, he was very little known to the non-professional uh, uh, part of, uh, of the Russian population. For uh, media professional, of course, he was the legend and he is still, I think, believed to be the best, the best, uh, professional of this kind, uh, but uh, for ordinary people, the name Igor Malashenko means almost nothing. He was someone who had a hand both in the media and in politics. Was being in both worlds ever problematic for him? Did he ever run into trouble? Well, this is exactly the question that I find uh, difficult for me to answer. I think, I think that he would rather work in a really free country and run uh, an, uh, a truly independent television. Because, well, as I told you before, he's been offered various uh, top positions in the government, but he always refused to take them because he liked the media, he liked the journalism, you know, he liked the vibe of, uh, of, uh, of being a TV boss, not, uh, not a party boss or a government boss. So I think that for him, uh, it wasn't uh, really pleasant uh, to participate in, uh, in all those political games, uh, but it was absolutely inevitable because uh, this was, <laughs> well, this was the function of, of a big public channel in Russia. What do you think his his legacy will be? His lasting impact on on the on the Russian political or media landscape? Well, I'm afraid I'm afraid that there's no impact. I think that uh, well, what uh, what can we say about uh, Igor Malashenko's heritage? 
uh, NTV, uh, the channel he has created, it still does exist, but uh, it used to be by far the best TV channel in Russia in the 90s. You know, the funniest, uh, the most provocative, uh, the most uh, bold. Uh, but right now, NTV is notorious for something completely different, for, for being, you know, the worst uh, or one of the worst uh, Russian TV channels, uh, a mouthpiece uh, for the FSB and so on. So NTV uh, is not the kind of monument uh, that Igor Umalashenko would like uh, to live after him. Uh, RTVI, another TV channel, is much better than NTV, and this was also the channel that Igor Malashenko has built, together with Gusinski uh, in, in uh, the notice. Uh, so, so maybe for RTVI, Malashenko still, uh, still is seen as, as uh, a founding father figure, but, uh, but that's it, I'm afraid. Artyomi Troitsky, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us today. Yeah, bye. And to finish off, have a listen to this. The dulcet tones you're hearing there are those of the St. Petersburg Concert Choir singing in St. Isaac's Cathedral last weekend. Now, the lyrics, on the other hand, are not so dulcet. The concert coincided with the Russian national holiday Defender of the Fatherland Day, which is a celebration of the army. And the lyrics are unambiguously warmongery. Here's an excerpt. On a nuclear pirate submarine with a dozen bombs just under 100 megatons, I crossed the Atlantic and called up to the gunner, point Petrov, towards Washington, D.C., I say. Now, what may come as a surprise is that the choir received so many complaints that they had to disable comments on their social media pages. Even the composer, Andrei Kozlovsky, chimed in saying the choir shouldn't have sung the song in a cathedral. Nothing good will come of it, he said. That's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in, and don't forget to rate the podcast on iTunes. It'll help other listeners find us. I'm Jonathan Brown. Our producer today was Piotr Sauer, and thank you to CM Records Studios in Moscow for hosting the show. Join us next week on From Russia with News. (laughs) 